Hello and welcome back to the Venture Equity Project Podcast. Today we are joined with Jill Johnson. So excited and honored to have you on the podcast today. Thanks so much for having me. To get us started, I'd love for you to introduce yourself to the audience, who you are, but also what is something that most people don't know about you? I'll start with introducing myself first. I'm Jill Johnson, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of the Institute for Entrepreneurial Leadership. We are a nonprofit organization based in Newark, New Jersey. This is our 20th year. My father and I co-founded the organization together. We have three program focus areas. The first is Relationship Capital Connections, and that's our Women of Color Connecting Initiative. Investor Inclusion, and that is the making of Black Angels, and the one where we are partnering with the Venture Equity Project. And then Community Small Business Capacity Building, and that is our Small Businesses Need Us initiative. So some really exciting work and all of those projects are really centered in the concept of eradicating the barriers at a systemic level that keep entrepreneurs who have been historically excluded from being able to access the knowledge networks and capital that make success even possible. What we say at our organization is that success is not guaranteed. In fact, most entrepreneurs do not succeed. They fail in their original Mm -hmm. concept, but you're at a significant disadvantage if you do not have access to certain resources. And so then you ask, what are some things that people don't know? I was born in Iowa, so I will share that. In Cedar Falls, Iowa. So I have Midwestern roots. My parents are from Kansas and Missouri, and my mother would say, be sure to let them know it's Kansas City, Missouri. And that's like a Kansas, uh, a Missouri, Kansas type of thing absolutely love the work that you're doing at the Institute. I'd love to hear you paint a picture about the current problems that face entrepreneurs of color and women entrepreneurs. I think something that we have to recognize is that being a business owner, being an entrepreneur, being a founder, and I do think there's a difference between the three, Mm -hmm. it's hard, period, no matter who you are. I know people with lots and lots and lots of resources that have tried to hang out their own shingle and have not been successful in doing it. So it's not for the faint at at heart. It's really tough. And, you know, there's some element of right place and the right time and being prepared and taking advantage Mm -hmm. of opportunity. But for certain groups, there are barriers that have nothing to do with their skill, their expertise, their knowledge, their know-how, their persistence or anything. Mm -hmm. It is simply not having the opportunity And what we see is that's where the real barrier is for a lot of folks. It's not having the opportunity. So when we look at black entrepreneurs, Latinx entrepreneurs, women of every shade and hue, nationality and race, but especially black women, we see barriers that just shouldn't exist. If you Mm -hmm. think about economic principles, and the theory that money finds great projects and money is gonna find its highest and best use. We just don't see that holding up when it comes to these entrepreneurs and business owners and founders who have been historically excluded. And it's the exclusion that Mm -hmm. creates the barrier. I've seen a couple of articles where you mentioned this, but do you feel like there's not enough discussion 
or perhaps there's too much discussion and not enough action? <laughs> I definitely think that there's a lot of discussion and not enough action. I recently had a conversation mm -hmm. with James Ree of Red Helicopter and formerly the CEO of Ashley Stewart, and he was pointing out just too much talk, not enough action. Talk less, do more. And I think that the talking's good, don't get me wrong, because mm -hmm. you can't even solve the problems if you don't bring them to the forefront and acknowledge that they exist. So talking is good, but we then have to move beyond that. And I think that one of the things that I have observed, and even in a sense, a trap that we were in when we first founded the organization was saying, this group is having difficulty accessing capital, so let's work with this group to help them to be better, to learn more, to improve their skills so that they can gain access. The reality is, is that is not the problem. It's by mm -hmm. getting access that you even are able to get the skills and learn. You have people from top institutions, top universities with all these degrees and who happen to be male and white. They get access. It's not that they had all the skills to be amazing entrepreneurs. They had certain key elements, sure, and they were smart and they had some attributes and characteristics that were really important. But they learned as they went along because doors were opened and they were able to learn and grow as they went along. Unfortunately, there are others for whom those doors just never get opened. So you're not going to learn if you're never exposed to what it takes to be successful and you don't have people around you who know what it is and who are willing to guide and support you through that journey then you just don't know. And so it doesn't have to do with these particular groups of entrepreneurs, founders, and business owners being deficient or not knowing. And that's what, again, we feel that that is really an essential component of the discussion about barriers. For sure. And I think that hones in onto this point of the fact that it's not the entrepreneurs that need to be fixed, right? It's the systems that are currently in place and a lot of the other players that are in this discussion as a whole. Could you expand a little bit more on the quote of how entrepreneurs of color and women entrepreneurs are not the people that need to be fixed and who needs to stop trying to fix these entrepreneurs? <laughs> I look at it a little bit like victim blaming, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't like talking about these groups that have been historically excluded as victims. I never think that the victim mentality is a good one from a, from mm -hmm. a, a personal standpoint, right? Because you have to take control, take ownership, and not give that power away to someone else. From a systemic level, the people that have been wronged, it's not their fault that these injustices happened to them. It was mm -hmm. a system, a society that was in place that kept black people at a point enslaved, right? We did not enslave ourselves. It was a, that was a system, a way of being. Women were mm -hmm. not allowed to own property and their husband had to give them permission. And essentially women were owned by their husbands more or less. And mm -hmm. so 
when you look at these systemic barriers and how the world just has operated to then say, well, you don't have wealth and therefore because you don't have wealth, that translates into issues around credit, collateral, all the things that go into getting a loan. It goes into friends and family money, which if you can't get friends and family money, it's hard to get angel money. If you don't get that, you can't get VC money. So we talk about all of the challenges that these groups have, but then we say, well, to fix this, let's give you some training. And so that's why we see have seen this proliferation of training programs and all of these systems of, of support, and we're going to mentor, and we're going to tech, provide technical assistance, all of these things. But that all then really is suggesting that the problem is with these entrepreneurs. Again, do not get me wrong. Learning is always good, right? People mm-hmm. can always benefit from knowledge and information. But to suggest that on a wide scale that some deficiency with these particular groups of entrepreneurs and and founders and business owners is what leads to the vast majority of venture capital going to white men, again, it just really doesn't make sense. It doesn't even add up. But to say that all of the innovation naturally all sits with white men, that just doesn't even make any sense. Something interesting that you pointed out was like, don't get us wrong. These programs that are in place to help train and help educate entrepreneurs of color about the space or about how to raise capital are important as always. But that's not where the problem is and that's not where our focus should be, I think is a really interesting point. Mm -hmm. Let me add to that because If you even think about these training programs that are for entrepreneurs of color, why does that particular group even need a separate program, right? Right. It's because Mm. these are groups that have been excluded. And I think sometimes when people think excluded, they're like, oh, no, we're not excluding anyone. But if you're not intentionally including, then it often has the effect of excluding. And that's the challenge is oftentimes the programs and resources that exist for training and supporting any entrepreneur, business owner, or founder, they are not intentional about inclusion. And so we get the exclusion and then that creates the need for these programs in which people actually often feel othered. And I think that's a real problem, Mm -hmm. this othering. It's we're going to have this over here for these people, which Mm -hmm. can have the effect, again, of making them feel, these groups feel like we have to have this over here special because we are deficient in some way. Now, again, I, I certainly believe in people who have certain commonalities can find support in that. So groups that are supporting women, groups that are supporting veterans, those are all good things. And there's nothing at all wrong with that. But it's when there is an othering of these groups. Mm -hmm. It's not that, hey, I'm finding my tribe. I'm finding my community of support. It's when I feel othered because I cannot get into these existing programs or resources. And somehow the people that are in certain high profile incubator programs or accelerators 
or who receive capital and then become part of the networks and people take them under their wing. No one is saying, hey, you didn't know. Everyone is saying, we believe in you, therefore we will invest not only our money, but we'll invest our time, our resources, our energy, we'll open doors, and that's how it happens. And that is how it should be happening for black and brown entrepreneurs, for women, again, across the, the board. That is when we will actually see inclusion. It seems like there's a lot of these special programs for entrepreneurs of color. And all these things and still not getting access to capital. That's right. the problem, <laughs> you know? So that, then it's like, what do I have to do to actually get the money? And yeah. so again, that's how we know that's just not the actual problem because it's not that they're then taking these different programs and then getting capital. They're still mm-hmm. not getting capital. So it's, it's a broken system. And back to the point about the false narrative about risk or trade-off between investing in a more inclusive way and investing more narrowly, again, which suggests that only white men are worthy of investment. The example that I use very often is what happened with the Negro Baseball League. Major League Baseball thought that they had all of the best players and their players Mm -hmm. were very good. It's not to take anything away from the players that existed, but once the Negro Baseball League players were able to play in the MLB, once they were no longer excluded, we saw that some of them rose to the top. Not all of them, but what we saw is that some of them rose to the top. And so it was actually a false narrative that the MLB had all of the best players. Some of them were good, but we saw others rise to the top. And so if you put that lens on the community of innovators, Mm -hmm. by not looking at uh, a more inclusive group of innovators, potentially we're not even getting the best returns on the dollars that are being invested. For sure. Something that kind of reminded me of is there's a lot of data that shows that investing in the diverse founders actually leads to higher returns. And I've talked to a couple of entrepreneurs and they say that this puts them under a lot of pressure because they now find that when they talk to investors, they almost have to give this promise of high returns. Even though if you look at entrepreneurs, just as what you said, there's a proportion that's inevitably going to fail and there's a proportion that's inevitably going to succeed. Having a leveled playing field at the start is important, but also just recognizing that not every single founder, no matter of what color, no matter whether they're male or female, there's a chance that there's going to be a failure and there's going to be a success, I think is something that's important to recognize as well. Absolutely. And the way that I look at that is that Really what we should be saying is that we need to be more inclusive about the opportunity because most are going to fail. That's how it is. And you're then looking in the VC world, it's okay, out of that, do we have that one big, huge win? Maybe someone who you have previously excluded could have been one of those winners. Mm -hmm. How do you know that they wouldn't have been one of the winners? And I think we do have to understand that Everyone should have the same right to fail. (laughs) The success, that's going to be few and far between. But everyone should have the same opportunity to fail. 
we see all the time, this sentiment, well, we invested in one black founder and it didn't work out. We invested in that one and it didn't work out, see what happens. But no one stops to say, we invested in a hundred white men and 80 of them failed. It's because there is a presumption of what should happen. Well, not all entrepreneurs succeed, but if we pick this one black one, then surely they will succeed. And I also think that we have to be a little bit careful with how we talk about that diversity narrative. Um, Mm. We hear it tossed around a lot, diverse teams perform better. I just had this conversation with two good friends recently that often when you look at diverse teams that are in certain circles, what it took Mm -hmm. for those founders, or even if you're looking at anything across the board in any profession, and there are uh, few women or there are few people of color. When you look at those individuals, oftentimes they are exceptional. They're not just good. They're not average. They are exceptional individuals who are top performers, regardless of anyone, they're top performers in their field. And that's why you're getting outsized return. It's not simply because the teams are made up of random people of all these different backgrounds. It's because for those people to even be in the room, they had to be superior. So switching gears slightly, I would love to talk about the work that Eiffel is doing to create access to capital and how investors and uh, venture capitalists can actually work in actionable steps to solve this problem. Yeah, thanks for asking that because the direction which we're really trying to go is one about changing mindset and Mm -hmm. changing the narrative around the problem of access to capital. It's not that capital doesn't exist. Capital in the United States of America is plentiful. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's it's all around (laughs) us. The issue is that it is concentrated the hands of a few and it's a clubby environment. Do not get me wrong. It's individuals money, money that Mm. people have now. Institutions, that's a whole nother story. But even when you talk about how people make decisions, we all gravitate to people who we know, who have similar interests, et cetera. So in and of itself, that's not a problem. It's human nature. But Mm -hmm. what we have to all do is recognize the biases that we have and how we are making decisions. And what we need to do is to be open to even taking meetings and building relationships with people who are outside of our comfort zone. And when I say outside of our comfort zone, what we have to understand is the fact that we think that they're outside of our comfort zone may not be a rational thought. It may be based Mm -hmm. on some bias that we have, right? And so what we're really trying to do is to change mindset. We're trying to change the dynamic, especially in the investor community, that it's, hey, expand your universe of relationships because it does start there. We're not just saying go out and willy-nilly start throwing dollars at people who you don't even know, who are not in networks with which you're familiar. Mm -hmm. We're saying start by changing your network, being more inclusive about your network. The things that we often focus on are really actually not the things that make us different. And so we Mm -hmm. have to think about our networks again and being inclusive in a very intentional way. 
And once we get to know other people, that's when things will start to open up. That's when access to capital and resources and all of that will open up because I will no longer then be looking at someone and say, I'm just shutting them out because I don't see a possibility that that person can produce a return if I invested them. I, I don't have that same bias. I will look at them differently. That's what we're trying to do is to get people to widen their aperture. I'll give, you know, just a quick illustration of this. Growing mm -hmm. up, and I said, you know, I came from the Midwest and my parents are pretty conservative in their just way of being. And, and I grew up at a time when people didn't really get tattoos so much. People who got mm -hmm. tattoos are kind of like laborers or, you know, people who were not going on the college track and professional track and all of that. And if you had a tattoo, that was kind of like, oh, that's a little naughty. And you certainly don't get it in a place that is visible. Well, fast forward, I have four sons. And my oldest two have tattoos. Is that my choice? No, it was <laughs> when at first, and, and, and people who know me are kind of like, oh my gosh, Joe, I can't even believe like you allow that. Well, one, they were at the age, it wasn't me allowing them mm -hmm. per se. But my sons, my oldest son graduated from the University of Michigan with a degree in economics. My second wow. son is pursuing a degree in uh, economics at Rutgers. They're both wow. super smart, great yeah. kids, have all the potential in front of them, thinking about this tattoo thing. But because of my children, and again, many of their friends even, it's more common. And people now who I've hired at our organization, people have tattoos. I no longer look at people who have tattoos in the same way. So mm -hmm. someone showing up for an interview it might not have been a conscious thing, even subconsciously, like, oh, in my mind, thinking maybe they're not going to work the, the same way. And because I have had people in my family with tattoos and, you know, overcome this bias that I had or being able to recognize that I might have had a bias that didn't even play out, I, I am able to look at that different. Now, that's a minor, very silly example, but it illustrates the point that we all have our biases that mm -hmm. we bring to any conversation, to any interaction. And we have to think about it. We have to be able to check that at the door and right. open ourselves to getting to know people who they are. And in a selfish way, the return that they may be able to produce for us if we're an investor. That's what it means to be an economic being in a capitalist society and i think that if we if more of us can get to that point many 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 of us will be better off wow first of all i love the way that you broke down the solution to breaking the bias even that first step of okay we know we have to change mindsets and one of the things that we can do that's tangible to change mindsets is we can help people expand their networks and connect on things that they might have that are shared experiences and i love that because that's something that's tangible that you can actually implement and i feel like oftentimes like we said at the beginning of this podcast a lot of the things that are talked about are often just lip service there's no real way to 
implement or think about changing mindsets unless you think about how does this actually look for an investor day by day? What parts can we intersect and what parts can we change about the, the way that they interact? And it's what we can each do as individuals. It's not waiting for the system to change, the government exactly. to change, some institution to change. It's what is it that we can each do in our day-to-day lives, meeting just more people and just exactly. talking to people about their experiences, getting to know them, and always looking for a way to include. You attend a, a networking event and you're a member of a country club. Invite someone new who hasn't mm-hmm. had that experience, who hasn't been part of that. Invite folks to um, attend an event with you. Now, when you do that, you do need to go the extra step in, in helping them to feel comfortable and signaling right. to everyone else, hey, this person's with me. I think they're okay. So you need to think that they're okay. Everyone's not necessarily going to be receptive to doing that. But those are the things that we can each do in our own personal lives that if enough of us do it and we do it enough over time, That's how thinking becomes different. That's how actions are different. And that's how systems change. I would love to ask you, where do you find hope in the space of investment? And do you feel like we're shifting towards a positive future? I think that there's a lot of hope. I mean, I'm an eternal optimist. Uh, You have to be doing this work. And Mm -hmm. my father would always say, think about the possibilities. I think that there's a lot greater awareness now. I think back to the earlier point of talking, just the fact that people are talking about these issues are, you know, I think that is good. People talking about this and saying, okay, well, if people want to talk about it, then I'm going to talk about it in an honest and authentic way. That is positive change. Where we're going is really doubling down on this work, seeking more partners that get it, that think in a similar fashion, who want to address issues at a systemic level. My parents had a newspaper publishing business and I was hearing back then about issues of access to capital and the challenges. Um, I don't want this to be the same conversation that my children have if they decide to start a business. I want things to be different 20 years from now. I don't want to be having these same conversations 20 years from Mm -hmm. now. There might be other (laughs) conversations that are being had, but these issues of being excluded should just not be happening in the same way. And so I think what we have to do is to be intentional. We want to engage individuals to act and act in a way that will open doors and that ultimately will lead to systems change. And I cannot wait to see the future, the positive future, but also the work that Eiffel is going to do. I think there's so much positive impact that's happening now, but down the road for sure. Thank you so, so, so much for joining us on the Venture Equity Project podcast today. For our audience who want to continue to follow your journey and to continue to follow Eiffel's journey, where and how can they do that? You can follow us on social media and we are WOC Connecting on um, all the platforms and that's really the best way to follow us and then you can also go to our general website which is weareifel.org that's w-e-a-r-e-i-f-e-l dot org
the NASDAQ Entrepreneurial Center is proudly hosting and producing this podcast. The center is a nonprofit that is aimed at building a better path for entrepreneurs worldwide by improving inclusion, access, and knowledge in entrepreneurship. None of what we could do today would be possible without our amazing support from our sponsors, including NASDAQ, Lehigh University, Airbnb, Bank of the West, KPMG, Wilson Sonsini, Woodruff Sawyer, HubSpot, NASDAQ's Foundation, BPM, and California Community Colleges. My name is Waylon Chong, and I'm so excited to bring you along this journey with me.